welcome to the Palmwood Podcast, part of the teaching ministry of Palmwood Church in Oviedo, Florida, where we love God extravagantly, love people with humility, and mentor others to do the same. Here's Pastor John with an introduction for this week's message. Thanks, David, and welcome back, everyone, to the Palmwood Podcast. I want to take just a quick moment to thank all of you for your kind words about the podcast. I am, along with the rest of the leadership of Palmwood Church, so grateful that this part of our teaching ministry is a blessing to you. Today, we tackle what might be the most controversial statement in our series, Know What You Believe, on the Apostles' Creed. Jesus descended into hell. It's a later addition to the Creed, but one that was seen as important at the time. And while some really good theologians still debate whether the statement should be part of the creed, it's there. And I'm going to do my best to explain why. We're going to look at what unifies us on this statement. And then I'm going to give you some personal views as well, and I'll be sure to tell you when we get to those. I believe that we find some common ground when we understand the difference between what the Bible calls hell and what it teaches about Sheol. I hope it's helpful to you. Well, today we are moving on in our series um, based upon the Apostles' Creed. Um, Just tell you a little story as we get started. Typically, I, I begin outlining things even maybe a couple weeks ahead of time, and I had, I had my basic outline down. Um, I, uh, I was going through the, the scripture passage that's our main scripture passage, and I get to a place where I've kind of got my own thoughts in place. I've got the, the, the sermon mapped out. And then, as many pastors do, I go to commentaries and theology books and some other things just for other resources to make sure I'm on track, to make sure that... Um, Make sure that I'm I'm not leading anybody astray, and I was feeling pretty confident about the the direction of the message this morning. And then I looked at uh, some some writings from my favorite theologian, Dr. Wayne Grudem, <laughs> and on today's topic, he descended into hell. Jesus descended into hell. Wayne Grudem basically said, "Nope, never happened." <laughs> And I was taken aback because I knew that there had been a lot of dialogue and discussion on this particular phrase for for almost uh, 1,500, 1,700 years. But I've never heard anybody so blatantly say, no, it needs to be taken out of the creed. And so that caused me to really dig into this passage a lot deeper and this this particular doc- particular doctrinal statement. And it reaffirmed my own convictions, thankfully, but I'm going to share those with you today. But just an interesting story that, you know, sometimes pastors are on a learning curve even as we're in the middle of a series preaching, that was, uh, that was kind of a surprise for me this week. Our scripture passage today is taken from 1 Peter chapter 3. Uh, this is the passage that Dr. Grudem was referring to um, when he, made his, he wrote his article. 1 Peter chapter 3. We're going to look at verses 15 through 22, and, uh, and then we'll, we'll pray together and move on. But in your hearts, set apart Christ as Lord. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. But do this with gentleness and respect, keeping a clear conscience, so that those who speak maliciously against you 
of your good behavior in Christ may be ashamed by their slander. It is better, if it is God's will, to suffer for doing good than for doing evil. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom also he went and preached to those spirits in prison who disobeyed long ago, when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. And this symbolizes the baptism that now saves you also, not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a good conscience toward God. It saves you by the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand, God's right hand, with angels, authorities, powers in submission to him. I believe in Jesus Christ, God's only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, died, and was buried. These are all things that we've covered over the last several weeks. And then we come to this phrase. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He descended into hell. This statement, you need to understand, is not found in the original surviving manuscripts of the Apostles' Creed. And that's where some of the the dilemma begins. It's a late amendment. It showed up 150, 200 years later. Um, into the creed, and many Christians are bothered by the phrase that Jesus went to hell. Uh, They think possibly there's a meaning here that Jesus went to a place where he had to suffer for the case of sin, and they will be very quick to tell you, well, their theology is that Jesus suffered on the cross. He endured the wrath of God on the cross for sin. And that that suffering was complete on the cross. And I agree with them. (laughs) Hopefully today we'll make some semblance of clarity from all the divergent viewpoints. Maybe I'm foolish, but I'm going to try. Let's pray together. Jesus. This was a fun and interesting message to prepare this week. And it caused me to dig even deeper than I normally would in the preparation of what I would provide to your children on a Sunday morning. It's not um, a simple and abundantly clear point It's one where faithful Bible-believing Christians down through the years have had differing opinions, differing vantage points, and yet it is one that you have seen fit to have your servants leave in 
the most prominent creed of Christendom. And I believe, Jesus, there is something really important in this message for us. And so, Lord, I'm, I'm really calling on you today by your Holy Spirit to do what I cannot do and to make the foggy clear. To help us as a church family to go to the authority, which is the Scriptures, not the creedal statement itself, but the Scriptures, and, and to make some sense of what is a collage of differing opinions. Jesus, in the end I would pray that as we have clarity we would also see why it's important to leave this statement in the creed. And that we as the followers of Christ would affirm it. That you did indeed descend. Lord, wash me clean up, clean of my sin afresh. Take anything that would be an obstacle to me out of the picture today and help me simply to be your mouthpiece as you speak to your children from your word. And may we understand in the end truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Um. So, if someone gets a beautiful gemstone and they take it out in the sunlight, what typically happens with that gemstone when it comes out in the sunlight? Those that are in the room, what happens? It sparkles, it shimmers, right? Now, Megan, you don't have your ring on at the moment, but you could take it out there and you could see that. It shimmers, it sparkles. Why does it shimmer and sparkle? The way it's been cut. It has many different, the word we use is facets. It has many different facets. And so if we take a diamond, for example, if we take it out in the direct sunlight, and I'm, I'm standing kind of to the north of the diamond, and the sun hits it in a different way, I see this shimmering and it looks green. And maybe Stephen is standing over around to my right, and, and from his angle, the sun refracts in those, those facets, and what he sees is red. And maybe Lauren is standing a little further away, and, and, and she sees a combination of kind of a, a, a yellow and a blue going back and forth, depending on which way she leans. You all know what I'm talking about. You've seen that happen with a gemstone. And I would submit to you, I think that's what's happening with this particular creedal statement is that we have the equivalent of a gemstone before us, and people are looking at this from the Scriptures, from several different viewpoints, and they're seeing it from the particular Scripture verse that they camp on and not seeing the other facets in the same way. There are a number of divergent interpretations on the phrase, he descended into hell. View number one is that Jesus declared victory to dead saints who were forward-looking to the Messiah but died before Jesus came on the scene, and he led them out of Sheol into heaven because he opened up heaven for them. This would be 
very similar to what most Roman Catholics, for example, would believe about this statement. Jesus died, heaven was open, and so now he could take those who were waiting for heaven to be opened and he could take them to heaven. A second view is that Jesus went there to declare complete victory over Satan and pronounce Satan's condemnation. And this would be the view that many Lutherans, for example, would follow, um, that Jesus' purpose in hell was to declare God's ultimate victory over Satan, over sin, over death, and over the grave. A third view is that Jesus went to paradise, which is understood by those who hold this view to be a specific section of uh, Sheol or of Hades, and declare a fuller truth of the gospel and its victory. And that um, claim is is held by a lot that would be, for, for example, in the Anglican Church and those related to the Anglican Church. A fourth view is that Jesus went to hell and actually proclaimed the gospel to people who had died without the gospel before, um, who had died without accepting the gospel before, so that they could be saved by the Messiah himself. So a second proclamation of the gospel that they might be saved. Now, while I would argue personally that this view comes directly up against passages like um, Hebrews 9, verse 27, uh, where it says it is appointed once for man to die and then comes the judgment, there are Bible-believing Christians who have held something similar to this down through the years. And then a fifth view that actually surprised me this week is that Jesus didn't go to hell. And uh, the, this biblical text clearly teaches something other than what the, the creed says. Uh, there, are, there are several, actually, staunch, biblically-minded people, uh, some that are in the Reformed camp, like Dr. Grudem, who would hold to this view, and some of those actually would say that that statement needs to be pulled back out of the Apostles' Creed. The challenge is this. Unlike the other statements that we have looked at in this series and that we will look at following this particular message that have scriptures that are abundantly clear, that that really make the point clearly. In this particular passage, you have to pull several scriptures together to get the full picture. And when you do that, it's like a gemstone with many different facets. And so when a particular group of Bible-believing Christians in the church have a particular scripture that they base their view on, it's like looking at a different facet of a gemstone. We're all looking at the same stone, but we have different viewpoints, and that's what brings the divergence and the confusion. And yet, even with all of these differing opinions, the church has concluded for nearly 1,700 years that this statement should remain in the most prominent creed of Christendom, the Apostles' Creed. And so there really is something important here. There has to be a way that these passages that are clearly all in the Bible, that they fit together to give us some semblance of understanding for this particular truth. So, this morning in an attempt to be as biblically faithful as I can, I'm going to lay out for you how I have come to a conclusion about this particular creedal statement. 
Um, as we go along the way, I'm going to build a foundation for you that would be accepted by all of these camps. And at the point where the divergence occurs, I'll show you where that is. <clears throat> and then I will clearly tell you when we're following my view as opposed to something that would be accepted by everyone. And we'll defend it from the scriptures. The first thing we need to do is to understand some biblical terms to give us some context. <clears throat> and this is really important. So the first term that we want to talk about is the Hebrew term Sheol. The Hebrew term Sheol has a counterpart in Greek, Hades, um, just like Messiah in Hebrew has a Greek word counterpart, Christ. So Sheol and Hades are the same thing. They mean exactly the same thing. Sheol is understood to be the realm of the dead. Hades, Sheol, is the place where those who pass away, they go to await that final time when we would say Christ returns and there is the final resurrection. They that are saved to the resurrection of eternal life and they that are not saved to the, the final resurrection of judgment and the lake of fire. That's Sheol. So it's, it's the realm of the dead. The second term that we need to talk about is the word Gehenna, which is also a Hebrew term. Gehenna is actually a place, literally a place. In the Old Testament era, Gehenna is where there were ch child sacrifices made to the, the false god Molech. Gehenna, in the days of Jesus was located just outside the city wall of Jerusalem. I'm trying to think of when we were actually in Jerusalem. I think now it's inside, because Jerusalem has gotten bigger, I think now it's actually inside the, the walls of Jerusalem. But at the time of Christ, it was outside the walls of Jerusalem. And Gehenna, in the time of Christ, was a place where they would burn the city's refuse. Um, it's also the place where they would incinerate diseased bodies, people who had died with disease, leprosy, or what have you. And so as Jesus teaches about hell, his reference in his teaching is about Gehenna, a place where the fire never goes out, see? A place where the worm never dies. A place that is of ongoing suffering and fire, uh, where there is weeping and gnashing of teeth. Gehenna, is in, in, and how that's portrayed in the New Testament, is the depiction of hell. Sheol is the, de the depiction of the realm of people who are dead, including people who looked forward to the Messiah and those who died in Christ after he came, before he returns to bring in the new heaven and the new earth. It's a difference between hell and Hades. And the word that is used in the Apostles' Creed is the word Hades. 
See, right off the bat, that's important to us because it, it gives us an important context for what the original writers, the, the developers of the Apostles' Creed were trying to communicate through the Creed. Now I want to walk you through, knowing those two terms, I want to walk you through my argument for this doctrinal point. Number one, Jesus endured God's punishment on the cross on our behalf. Period. End of sentence. Jesus' suffering was on the cross. You can look at Matthew 27, 45 and 46, John 3, verse 36, Romans 3, verses 25 and 26, uh, Hebrews 12, 2 and 3, 1 John 2, 2, 1 John 4, 10, and that's not even an exhaustive list. It is abundantly clear in Scripture, in fact, we already talked about it in this series, that Jesus endured God's wrath, Jesus endured God's punishment on the cross of Calvary. So his descent into hell, really Hades, was not that he should continue suffering. There, there's something else that had to be going on there because all of us from all of our different vantage points of this, this multifaceted jewel are in agreement on this point. Jesus suffered for us on the cross. Number two, Jesus declared it is finished. John 19, verse 30. Now, that should clear it up right there. The total work of atonement and propitiation. Go back over the last couple of weeks. We've talked about these, these terms and what this means. The restoring of what was destroyed. The, the satisfi- satisfaction of God's wrath. It was completed on the cross. We've already talked about that. And all of us, from all of our vantage points, are in agreement on that point. Third, Jesus offered up his spirit and died. Luke 23, 46, John 19, 30. You can also take a look at James chapter 2. Jesus was in total control of his very life right to the end. Remember in John chapter 10, we referenced this in the last couple of weeks. Jesus said, I have the authority to lay down my life and I have the authority to take it back up again. He never yielded control over his life. What he did, he did voluntarily. Jesus gave up his spirit and he died. Jesus died. And when Jesus died, he completed the the required penalty for sin, which was death. It was completed. We are all in agreement on that point. Number four, Jesus was not abandoned by the Father to the grave or did his body ever see decay. Acts chapter 2, verse 31. You can also look at Matthew 12, 38 through 40. The bottom line is the resurrection of Jesus interrupted that possibility. His body never could have gotten to it. He wasn't left in the grave to rot. He rose from the dead. Death could not hold Jesus. The grave and its decay had no power over him, ever. And we are all in agreement on that point. Number five. 
Jesus died in his body, but was made alive by the Spirit. 1 Peter 3, verse 18. And this is where we begin to get into the passage of Scripture that's causing some of the confusion. Jesus clearly died bodily. Jesus clearly was buried in the tomb bodily. And we are all in agreement on that point. Number six. Jesus descended into Hades. Here's where the differing opinions begin. Most Bible-believing Christians would all still be in agreement on this point, that he descended into Hades, but what he did there is where things begin to diverge. I want to read a couple of passages of Scripture here um, as we move into the next few points to continue building some of this context. We've talked about the difference between Gehenna and Sheol, Hades. Now let's add to that some other context from the Scriptures themselves. The first one I want to look at is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 7 through 10. Paul writes to the church at Ephesus, But to each one of us grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, When he, Jesus, ascended on high, he led captives in his train and gave gifts to men. What does he ascended mean, except that he also descended into the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Again, Ephesians 4, verses 7 through 10. Now, keep that passage in your mind, and let's take a look now again at our passage from this morning. I'm going to look at verses 18 through 20. For Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous, to bring you to God. He was put to death in the body, but made alive by the Spirit, through whom, here we go, through whom he also went and preached to the spirits in prison who were who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. In it, only a few people, eight in all, were saved through water. 1 Peter 3, verses 18 through 20. Now, understanding these two passages as our context, let's move on. Point number seven. Here's where we get into to my convictions. And many will still agree with me, but other faithful people will not, and that's okay, because there's been disagreement on this for 1,700 years. Jesus preached. I want to stop right there. Jesus preached. For me, this is really important, because the Greek word here for preached is simply the word for proclaim or announce. It is not the Greek word you on galizomai, which is to evangelize. And for me, that's really important, and let me explain why. Because I believe that Jesus was announcing his total and complete victory over Satan, sin, and death when he was in Hades, 1 Peter 3, verse 19. This is not, the the words that are used there do not indicate, it was not evangelizing people who have died in their sin. It's just not. Here the word is for proclamation. He's not offering salvation to anyone. He's, a, he's trumpeting the fact that the rule and reign of heaven is now complete. He is announcing that he has been victorious and that Satan has been defeated. Part 8. 
Jesus preached to who? To disobedient spirits. 1 Peter 3, 19 and 20. And we're also going to take a look in a minute at Colossians chapter 2. Now, I hope this is not getting too muddled, but in the New Testament, the Greek word translated spirit, the one that we're using here, is not used anywhere else in the New Testament to describe human beings who have died. Whenever that kind of reference is done in the New Testament, it is the word that is translated soul. This word, spirit, everywhere else in the New Testament is used about spiritual beings, demons, unclean spirits would be one of the references where that would be used. Some theologians believe that these spirits who are being referenced may be talking about the sons of God from Genesis chapter 6. These uh, fallen spiritual beings that, that were um, participating in the depravity of humanity that caused God to bring on the flood of Noah in the first place. Listen again to 1 Peter 3, verses 19 through 20. He was put to death in the body, but made alive in or by the Spirit, through whom he went and preached to the spirits who are in prison, who disobeyed long ago when God waited patiently in the days of Noah while the ark was being built. You see, this idea fits the context of the actual scriptures itself. And when you add uh, this to, to Paul's words as he writes to the church at Colossae in Colossians chapter 2 verse 15. Listen to this passage. I'm going to read from, from uh, verses 13 through 15, but listen to 15 when we get there. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all our sins, having canceled the written code with all its regulations that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it, took it away, nailing it to the cross. These are all things we've talked about in the past few weeks. Now listen to verse 15. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Do you see it? And so in my understanding, when we, we, we take the words Sheol and Gehenna in mind and we look at these passages and we bring them together, I see it as Jesus descending into Hades, the realm of the dead, to preach or proclaim his utter victory to the disobedient spirits that are imprisoned there that heaven has won. Finally, it makes sense then that it would follow immediately on the heels if he descended into hell that on the third day he rose again from the dead. And you can go back and look at my Resurrection Sunday sermon from a few weeks ago on that point. The penalty was paid. Satan and his forces were defeated, and I love this word, disarmed. Sin was atoned for. Death was destroyed, and Jesus made a public spectacle of all the forces of evil in front of everyone. Interestingly, while so many of us disagree on exactly what Jesus did while he was in Hades, once again, we are all unified in the result. Jesus is Lord.
I believe in Jesus Christ, who is crucified, dead, and was buried. He descended into, I would say, Hades. And the third day, he did indeed rise again from the grave. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Can you agree with me that even though there's, there's differing opinions on components of this, this doctrinal or creedal statement, that this is absolutely important to our faith? Jesus has triumphed. Jesus is Lord. Hallelujah. Let's pray. Father, hallelujah. I know that there are those, Lord, who listening today will have a differing opinion. But I also know, Lord, that those will agree with me in those areas where we have said we have full agreement. And the most important of those are that Jesus is King. And so now by your Holy Spirit, do what I am not capable of doing. Bring the pieces of this passage, this, this statement, this sermon together and apply the guiding wisdom of your Holy Spirit that we can walk out this truth in our lives that Jesus is King. Amen. Thanks for joining us for the Palmwood Podcast. If you'd like more information about Palmwood Church and its ministry, see our website at palmwoodchurch.com. Have a blessed day.